0: Brought to you by GSK. You're familiar with flu season, but shingles is different. Every season is shingles season because the virus can reactivate at any time. Don't wait to vaccinate. Learn more at shinglesseason.com. Hello and welcome to the December 5th, 2023 Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lane, Annals Editor-in-Chief, and I'm here to give you a quick summary of the new material you will find if you go to annals.org. Annals is very interested in studies of the health effects of environmental pollution, so my colleagues and I found the first study I'll highlight very interesting. It's a small study, but methods were rigorous. It is a randomized crossover trial that found that the inhalation of traffic related air pollution while in a car with unfiltered air was associated with a 4.5 millimeters of mercury increase in blood pressure. This change in blood pressure occurred rapidly, peaked within 60 minutes of exposure. And persisted over 24 hours. Traffic-related air pollution exposure is recognized as a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and other health effects. Work commute times in the U.S. are longer, averaging 27 minutes in 2019. Exposure to traffic-related air pollution has been associated with increased cardiovascular risk in observational studies. Traffic-related air pollution may include ultrafine particles, black carbon, oxides of nitrogen, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and other particulate matter. In this study from the University of Washington, 16 persons aged 22 to 45 years of age were driven through traffic in Seattle, Washington for three days to determine, by using particle filtration or sham filters, the effect of on-roadway pollutant exposure on blood pressure. For two days, on-road air was entrained into the vehicle. On another day, the vehicle was equipped with high-efficiency particulate air filtration. Blood pressure was monitored up to 24 hours before, during, and after the drive. The authors found that, in the participants with complete data, drives in vehicles with unfiltered traffic-related air pollution resulted in significant net increases in blood pressure compared with drives with in-vehicle filtration. According to the authors, these findings suggest that not only does traffic-related air pollution raise blood pressure, but also the effects of air pollution on blood pressure may be reduced with effective cabin air filtration. Next is a report evaluating the transplantation of kidneys from donors with hepatitis C virus viremia for recipients without HCV infection that found that the use of direct-acting antiviral prophylaxis for two weeks may prevent HCV transmission. The use of organs from donors with HCV viremia for recipients without HCV with direct-acting antiviral prophylaxis can increase access to kidney transplantation. Transmit and Treat cures hepatitis C virus. However, some recipients treated with this probe develop donor-specific antibodies and other complications. These complications may be avoided with prophylaxis, which is also less costly than a full treatment course. However, the optimal duration of prophylaxis is unknown. Researchers from Johns Hopkins University and New York University conducted a small, uncontrolled trial of 10 persons eligible for kidney transplant without hepatitis C virus. Eligible deceased donors were hepatitis C virus viremic. Participants received a dose of glipecovir, prebransivir, prophylaxis before the kidney transplant then once daily for 13 additional doses after transplant. The authors report that all 10 participants remained hepatitis C virus negative after two weeks of direct-acting antiviral prophylaxis. Only one participant had transient laboratory abnormalities in liver function. According to the authors, the study provides proof of concept for two-week direct-acting antiviral prophylaxis as an acceptable option. Even with adequate thyroid replacement therapy, patients with Hashimoto's disease may report persistent extrathyroidal symptoms, including chronic fatigue, muscle and joint tenderness, dry mouth and eyes, and poor sleep quality. It has been hypothesized that these persistent symptoms may be related to extrathyroidal autoimmune reactions, and that complete removal of thyroid tissues may relieve symptoms. The next article reports a study that evaluated outcomes for patients with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and persistent symptoms despite taking thyroid medications that found that at five years patients who underwent thyroidectomy had greater symptom relief than those on medical therapy. However, 14% of these patients experienced complications after surgery. Researchers from Telemark Hospital in Norway conducted a randomized open label clinical trial of 150 persons with Hashimoto disease who reported persistent symptoms despite interventions with thyroid hormone medication. The researchers evaluated self-reported quality of life changes in patients who received thyroidectomy and patients who received only medical treatment over 18 months. They found that the patients who received thyroidectomy reported quality of life improvements at both 18 months and 5 years after surgical intervention compared with patients receiving medication-only treatment. However, the authors caution that 10 of the 73 participants who received thyroidectomy experienced complications, including laryngeal nerve paralysis and hypoparathyroidism. Influenza vaccinations have been regularly recommended to all Americans starting from six months of age for over a decade, but vaccinations among children and younger adults remain low. During the COVID-19 pandemic, annual influenza vaccination coverage rates remained low overall and declined in some groups. The United States experienced high levels of influenza virus, SARS-CoV-2, and respiratory syncytial virus co-circulation during the 2022-2023 influenza season, putting a strain on healthcare resources. As the 2023-2024 season begins, internal medicine physicians and other healthcare professionals play an important role in communicating the benefits of vaccinations against influenza and other respiratory viruses. A new ideas and opinions commentary highlights the importance of physicians communicating the benefit of annual influenza vaccinations, and the authors recommend the SHARE approach when counseling patients. SHARE stands for S, share why an influenza vaccine is right for the patient, H, highlight positive experiences with influenza vaccines. A, address patient questions and concerns, or remind patients that vaccines help protect them and their loved ones, and E, explain the potential cost of getting influenza. In 2013, the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association guidelines expanded statin eligibility for primary prevention based on atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease risk score. Previous studies have not assessed whether the expanded guidelines were associated with changes in statin use in the United States. In the next article, researchers from the University of Pittsburgh and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center reported a study that used NHANES data for adults age 20 and older from 1999 to 2018 to describe trends in statin use for primary prevention across indication categories and ASCBD risk scores. They found that although overall statin use for primary prevention has increased over time, it plateaued between 2013 and 2018, with only 35% of eligible adults receiving statins. Further, most adults with the strongest guideline recommendations for primary prevention are not receiving statins, including those with diabetes, extremely high cholesterol, or 10-year risk of cardiovascular disease over 20%. This could be because even though the indications for statin use have widened, decision-making complexity has also increased, requiring a new multi-step risk calculation. This is something that busy clinicians often do not have time to do. According to the authors, these findings suggest that innovative efforts are needed to target patients with the greatest risk. In patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes, finerenone, a non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, reduces adverse cardiovascular and renal outcomes. Fenarinone also lowers the urine-albumin-to-creatinine ratio. Next is a report that investigates whether fenarinone-induced change in urine-albumin-to-creatinine ratio mediates the improved outcomes. Researchers analyzed pooled data from two phase 3 trials of fenarinone to quantify the proportion of kidney and cardiovascular risk reductions seen over a four-year period. Risk reduction was measured by a change in kidney injury indicated by a change in the urine-albumin-to-creatinine ratio from baseline to month 4. The data showed that among patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes, veneranone-induced improvement in kidney injury seemed to mediate a large proportion of long-term kidney outcomes and a modest proportion of cardiovascular outcomes. Specifically, compared with patients who had less than 30% reduction in urine album to creatinine ratio. Those with 30% or greater reduction had fewer composite kidney and composite cardiovascular outcome events. According to the authors, these findings emphasize the importance of monitoring urine albumin to creatinine ratio after initiating treatment as it can serve as a valuable surrogate indicator of early treatment efficacy and offer insights into potential long-term kidney and cardiovascular benefits. Compared with salvaged chemoimmunotherapy with autologous stem cell transplantation, the current standard of care for primary refractory and early relapse diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, also known as CAR-T, offers superior event free survival and overall survival. However, at list prices exceeding $400,000 per infusion, cost-effectiveness could be an issue. The next article reports an analysis that used data from several trials of CAR-T to estimate the cost-effectiveness of second-line CAR-T versus salvage chemotherapy with autologous stem cell transplantation. The researchers found that neither second-line CAR-T treatment with AxiCell nor Lysocell was cost-effective at a willingness-to-pay threshold of $200,000 per quality-adjusted life year. Both survival and quality of life improved incrementally but the data shows that the cost of CAR-T must be lowered substantially to achieve cost-effectiveness. Their budget impact analysis found that the U.S. health sector would spend an additional $6.8 billion over five years with CAR-T as the new standard of care. According to the authors, these findings may be relevant to administrators negotiating reimbursements, pharmaceutical companies balancing costs and profits, private and public insurers navigating negotiations, and policymakers seeking to rein in rising drug prices. The quality data may also help guide clinician-patient treatment discussions. New and life-saving therapy for patients with sickle cell disease will soon be within reach. The last article is a commentary that discusses the ethical and political issues that must be addressed to assure that patients who would benefit from these therapies are able to receive them. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll go to annals.org to read some of the new articles I've mentioned. Stay well, and please return in two weeks for the last podcast of 2023. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson, Andrew Langman, and Bernie Turner for their technical assistance. Brought to you by GSK. You're familiar with flu season, but shingles is different. Every season is shingles season because the virus can reactivate at any time. Don't wait to vaccinate. Learn more at shinglesseason.com.